In this episode of NC Raw, we sit down and talk to Sean Landreth and Corey Gibson, who come to us from Asheville in representation of the LGBT community. We get into a discussion about recovery, relationships, what it's like to kind of go go through the process of recovery and the process of change when there's a relationship involved. So enjoy the program. The opinions expressed in this podcast are the views of the NCR team and the individuals interviewed. We do not consider ourselves to be mental health professionals. Our mission is to explore the various pathways to recovery and to give a voice to those affected by or involved in the care of substance use disorders. Some content may be mature for younger audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Sean Landreth and Corey Gibson, welcome to NC Raw. Thanks for having us. us. How are you guys doing tonight? Good, I guess. Good. Just, yeah. Like I said, tired from the move this weekend, and you know, but here we are, and we're happy to be here. Yeah, and we got move. Mo- what kind of move y'all got going on? So, uh, go ahead, break us the we, news. Uh, we finally moved in together yeah. on Friday after being together for around a year, about a year, and so we just finally decided it was the next step in our relationship that was healthy enough for us to to go do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, congratulations stuff. yeah we're excited so you spent the weekend shuttling yes boxes back and forth furniture yeah it's the first time i ever drove a moving van myself that uh-huh. was like a totally new experience but uh did pretty good only hit one curb you know <laughs> <laughs> only hit one curb so um but yeah we moved in got everything finally in last night um it's nice just to have a new space to just kind of start from, you know, here going forward, you know, um, trying to get our cats to get along with each other, but you know, <laughs> well, those, those aren't, you know, those ain't so, such bad problems to have, no. you know, yeah, if that's your biggest problem. Yeah, right? I, know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love it, man. I love it. So yeah. I mean, looking at it, how things were, you know, a year ago exactly. or whatever. Yeah. Like you say, it's a good place to start from. So, mm-hmm. and a, and a clean start for the, relationship and absolutely to like move mm-hmm. forward together and kind of grow on mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing man mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing caleb mccoy what's up buddy um you uh tell me about what you got going on 
Tell me Which about, part? About, <laughs> I, I, I get up this morning and I see that you're up at 4 a.m. taking on a new adventure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think I want to. If you don't have enough things going on already in your life, huh? Idle hands are the devil's workshop, right? Uh-huh. So I just try to try to stay busy, engage in consistent action, and, and you know, might as well. I was already working out anyway, so might as well get paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what does that look like? What are you doing? Uh, I just took on a first client, mm-hmm. I guess you could say, um, Jeff Fuller, who's the owner, a co-owner of uh, Fuller Bail Bonds. Who you guys have a history together? Little bit, little uh-huh. bit. There's actually a, a post from January 21st of 2017, a 500 reward. I out saw for that me. post and I was like, yeah. I almost jumped on it, man. I, was like, I, know, <laughs> I, know, I know where he's at. Right <laughs> I know how to get a hold of that dude. I need some money. <laughs> I know uh, how to get a hold of that dude. Right. Somebody's at the door. <laughs> so we got to go down there and to Deep Creek this morning, me and Caitlin and, and the and the amazing Jeff and do put in some work, what, man. What are you what are you teaching this guy? What are you doing with him? Um, I'm trying to make him uncomfortable as, as possible without killing him. You know, I think Caitlin would agree that you're pretty darn good at that, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and accountability. I'm trying to hold him accountable to the. You know, I asked him his goals this morning and trying to see where you know he's trying to go as far as his physical goals and and I told him I want him to grow his his mental toughness as much as his physical body and so we're going to get into some stuff early in the morning called rise and grind late at night I might told him I might call him at 12 one o'clock in the morning and hit the gym up just to make him uncomfortable because that's kind of how his job is you know Mm -hmm. Um, never know when he's going to have to go chase somebody down bounty hunting job so is this like a career path something that you're interested in (sighs) mostly like I guess what I'm getting at is, are you accepting other clients? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's an open invitation. So if anybody's tuning in and you're looking for a personal mm-hmm. trainer, someone who may have just ran 777 miles. That's awesome. Halfway, <laughs> halfway across the United States, we know a guy. We know a guy. Okay. We'll get you in touch with him. Get you in touch with him. Excellent. Outstanding man. <laughs> we do have one anniversary to announce today. Somebody who posted on our Facebook page. Destiny Burgess Johnson. Oh, yeah. She'll be celebrating one year coming up on the 19th of July in just a couple days. Very cool. Okay. That's awesome. So, fabulous. Shout out, Destiny. Shout we out to you. Destiny. Very cool. Yeah, we love you. And She's it, doing good, too, yeah. man. She's doing awesome. Yeah, we're proud of her. Awesome. Uh, if you guys want to be recognized, do we have another anniversary to share? Anybody? I mean, yes. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I just picked up nine months. Nine months, there you baby. Go. There you go. So, <laughs> that's what I'm talking Congratulations. about. Congratulations. Yeah, it's um, it's cool. Like I was looking at my key tag this week. I was like, you know, this just I don't. This doesn't feel like mine. I was looking forward to like you know the six months, but then I didn't think past that part. And I was like, you know, so I've got three more months. Hopefully, start planning my uh, one year celebration in a couple weeks. So. Yeah. You know, I, I, I really think that's an excellent way to look at recovery because, you know, whenever we we, we hear this cliche, and, I don't mean to, you know, step on your toes, but, you know, the one day at a, thing, one day at a time thing, it, it's hard to, when you find something that gives you that purpose and inspires you and gives you that drive, you don't even think of it that way, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It just mm-hmm. starts piling on top of each other, you mm-hmm. know, those days and then months, and, and it has for me anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of having a white knuckle, like, oh, my God, i got to get through the day, you know what I mean? Like, I, mean I, I totally agree with you. I stopped looking at my days after uh, 
I started counting this last time just because looking at it and obsessing over yeah. that just as much as I was obsessing over anything else, it made me go crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, the and same just, patterns of behavior exactly. That I'm like affected us. So, so I just leave that on my phone and allow it to take care of you. You know, it'll let it'll let you know. Yeah, <laughs> we got another anniversary. Let's bring it on. My line has hit 17 months today. Oh yeah, today. Yep, yeah, today. Right. Kaylin. Oh, congratulations. Awesome. <laughs> Oh, well. <laughs> We're in the ballpark. Yeah, right. Awesome job. Well, she had 17 in. months. Never. If you're tuning into the show and you want an on air shout out, share your anniversaries with us. We have a running post on our Facebook page where you can just drop it in the comment and I go over them every Monday morning, see who's, whose dates are coming up, and we'll give you some love on the air. That's cool. That's awesome. Uh, Destiny just tuned in. Destiny, we love you. We're proud of you. We also have a few community events coming up that we would like to talk about and invite mm. you guys out to. The first is the Cherokee Rally for Recovery. Come on. At Cherokee Central Schools, which mm-hmm. is the Cherokee Middle School. That's taking place on July 26th. I was what told time is that? at 3 p.m. Oh, yeah, yeah. At 3 p.m. At the Cherokee Central Schools, mm-hmm. be tons of vendors, community members, people in long-term recovery. This crew right here. Who else? What else is going on out there? Um, honestly, you were at. The, I need weren't some, you there yesterday? I need some grace and forgiveness because I haven't been to the meeting. <laughs> okay. In a meeting, in a minute, so. They're gonna have like a panel discussions, <laughs> panel interviews, tons of resources. Yeah, it's absolutely. just a good way to to connect with the community. Find out what's available. Find out what people are doing in the community. We will be there doing a live show uh, from our booth. So stop by the NC Raw slash Res Hope booth. We'll be mm-hmm. hopefully right next to each oh, other yeah. doing some live we'll stuff. So come on out to that. And then the second event is the following day. And I know you know what's going on at this event. Mm-mm. I don't have a clue. July 27th, some organization called res hope yeah they're having an event called freedom fest mm-hmm. uh july 27th from 4 to 10 p.m come on what's going to be going on there uh we got some amazing speakers going to just be talking about sharing a short version of their testimony and what what god's done in their life and what their recovery looks like now and you know we got people from co- coming all over the the country really we got andrew hager uh michael moulton m2 from iheart radio we got Heidi Davis, Lindsay Davis. We got some uh, local speakers, Samantha and Rachel Taylor, and my cousin Keen. So we got man, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome, you know. We're out in the middle of Cherokee. We're gonna be out there praising God and and having a good time. And hopefully, we're gonna have some uh, uh some youth groups there as well. Cool, man. Yeah, it's gonna be good, powerful stuff. And the following day, July twenty eighth, High on Hope. Yeah, yeah. It's taking Tim place Kraft. over in Murphy. Tim Craft's gonna be speaking too, by the way. Yeah. Okay. At 12 o'clock in Murphy. Yep. At the, where's that at? At the? Conahita Park. Conahita Park. Yep. The rec center mm-hmm. out there in Murphy. We're going to have a Judge Lates out there. The judge Superior Lutz. Court Judge mm-hmm. here in Western North Carolina. Um, a lot of, uh, we've got some Christian rap down there. He's going, Omar Fontanez is going to be performing at Race Hope too. Okay. So we got some, you know, it was a little something for everybody. It's like three days of just recovery, recovery. fellowship, yep. connection, community, mm-hmm. get together. Nice. So That's cool. All of this information can be found by going to the Res Hope page mm-hmm. or going to our NT Raw page. Or High on Hope. 
Yeah, there's tons of information out there. If you're inquiring minds, want to get some information on it, just reach out and we can uh, we can get you there. So I hope somebody just dropped a uh, a good friend of ours, Brian Brooks, just hit five years clean. Him and his wife. Oh, what's oh, up, wow. Brian? Wow. So we can give him a hand. Yeah, That's absolutely. a two double whammy, right? Yeah, absolutely. A couple in recovery. The last event is being held over in Hayesville at the Hayesville oh, yeah. Square. My goodness, forgot about that one too. Rock Bottom Recovery and Support. They're having a family fun day and mm -hmm. barbecue. Uh, August 11th from 11 to 4. It's a family event centered around recovery. Um, they're going to be selling barbecue. They got events for the kids. Mm. Again, another way to just connect with the, with the community. Um, and support what Stacy is doing over in the Hayesville community when it comes to recovery. So awesome. I haven't got to see you know exactly what's going on over. I know she's doing you know making some uh, some huge moves over there. Um, so I'm excited to get over there and see what's going on. Like I shared last week, she'll be joining us sometime in the very near future. Oh really? On this show? How am I just hearing about this? She's message. She contacted <laughs> the NC Raw page on Facebook. Stacy. Yeah. That's how she, she shared us the event. We don't have a date yet. We're just kind of like, okay. I threw an offer out. She said, let her know. So I told her, me and you got to get some dates together. But Okay. Sean and Corey, mm -hmm. when I was uh, thinking about sitting down with you guys and having this show, I got to thinking about how this podcast has kind of evolved. Mm-hmm. What? about about how this con this podcast has kind of evolved from mm -hmm. what we origin our original vision was just to like mm -hmm. have me and Caleb and another friend kind of sit down and kind of talk about various recovery topics and things that were going on in the news and really just have like our own discussions around recovery and then we started to have a couple have guests on and mm -hmm. we really like found a lot of value in the stories behind mm -hmm. the guest. Mm -hmm. Here we are for our 17th show. And <laughs> the what's even crazier is that like this is y'all are the fourth couple. Oh wow. That's wow. been on the show. Like so we started off to just having like not really any guests mm -hmm. to having guests and now we've had like four different couples, you and Caitlin being one of them. Caleb, but mm -hmm. so y'all are like the fourth couple. So it's just, I, wow. I found it like fascinating how it's kind of like evolved and how like we've somewhat gravitated towards like that, that bond and that mm -hmm. the way that mm -hmm. that relationship affects our recovery and our recovery process. Mm -hmm. So thank you guys for coming on. Absolutely. Yes. I'm super stoked to kind oh, yeah. of get Glad into the story. Y'all ready to mm -hmm. do this? Right? Sure. Sure. Where do we start? Corey. Oh, wow. You're going to make me start. Yeah. Get him where, talking. Get him talking. Where are you guys? So let's let's just talk a little bit about, like, where you guys are from, how you landed, where you are, like. Wow. Um, I was born in Huntington, West Virginia. Okay. Actually. Shout out to Huntington County. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, my parents moved from Huntington to um, to Taylorsville, North Carolina. How old right were you here. when you guys moved down here? Oh, wow. We've been back and forth. I think the first time I came down to North Carolina, I was about three. And then in the fourth grade, I moved back to West Virginia, went to middle school and started high school. And then 
Yeah, in 2003, came back to Taylorsville. Okay. And that's where you kind of finished out? It's kind of where I finished out high school, and then that's where my story of active use started. Uh-huh. Did you find that kind of like bouncing back and forth to be difficult on you? At the time, I don't guess I did. Um, my grandmother, she, uh, or my grandparents, I had family that lived in West Virginia and family that lives down here. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of, we were gravitating back and forth between family. Gotcha. Uh, so it wasn't too uncomfortable, but. Yeah. Sean, where are you from, man? Uh, so I'm um, I'm originally from down the road in Hendersonville, actually. Hendo. Um, Hendo. <laughs> Hendo. Yeah. yeah. More specifically, Edneyville. Okay. Um, Never heard of it. Edneyville. <laughs> it's near Lake Lure, Chimney Rock. Okay. Um, grew up there until I left around 19, um, moved to Johnson City, Tennessee. All right. And uh, lived up there for about 10 years. Johnson City is a pretty cool little town. Johnson City is really cool. Um, it's a big college town. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I don't know if I would say there's a lot to do there, but there's a lot of places to uh, go eat and, and stuff like that. There's a lot of, they're trying to become more like Asheville scene, mm-hmm. which unfortunately means bringing in a lot of breweries, you know, but uh <laughs> That you know, they're they're really awesome. Dude, um, they're doing that here in our little tiny towns of yeah. Silver. There's breweries popping up on yeah. every corner, man. It's mostly the thing right now, you know. But um, you know, I lived up there until last March, last April, and had to move back down um, due to my you know addiction, mm-hmm. and um, lived with my parents for a little bit until we moved in last weekend with each other. So. Um, yeah, I, I miss Johnson City. There's a there's a there's a little bit above it that um, I have some friends there that you know were supportive friends that were not in active addiction, who actually helped um, start my process of recovery. Beautiful. So I miss them, but um, you know I'm kind of happy to be back in Asheville and loving the life that I'm building there. You know, so let's talk a little bit about what that progression was like from. Um, Growing up, and this would be opposed to like both of you guys, but from growing up to the point where you decided that you were ready to seek out recovery and kind of live that life, like what in you know what what happened in your life that kind of led up to wanting to change? Mm-hmm. I I want I want to ask I want to <laughs> ask what. What happened in your life that laid you down the road of addiction? Okay. And that's what I want to know. All right. Let's go. Because I think that's always mm-hmm. a good thing to mm-hmm. try to connect to. Because I still ask myself that. So. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take it first, I guess. Um, me, really, I grew up in um, a very traditional setting, a very um, religious household. Mm. And there was no, there was no drug use in my family growing up. And, um, you know, even to the point when I moved to Johnson City, um, I wouldn't consider my addiction having started until around 2000, I'd say 2014, 2015. How old were you at that time? Um, We'll see, I'm 31 now. I mean, I guess I would have been mid-20s. Okay. And, you know, when I say my addiction started, you know, um, I, I used substances, but um, 
really in 2015, that's really when it, it became a problem for me. Um, my grandfather died in 2015. And, you know, I've never, ever wanted to blame his death as for the reason that I began using. Um, it wasn't a direct result, if that makes sense. But I realized that that year there was, so, you know, looking back over it, there was so much going on in my life over that year. Mm -hmm. And um, so before I even began in uh, active addiction, so uh, my, my addiction was to methamphetamine. Mm -hmm. And I had had an experience with it in 2014. Uh, I had, I had, me and an ex-partner, we used to go to Atlanta, Georgia every year for a science fiction fantasy convention and bumped into somebody from, you know, the Johnson City area who I hadn't seen in a while. And at that, at that convention? At that convention. And so we were just hanging out, you know, we were just doing our thing and he pulls it out and just like, do you want to do this? And I'm like, sure. Like there was no stopping thought. There was nothing like I wasn't in under the influence of anything else before then. I was just like, okay, cool. Sure. And, um, that experience was horrible for me. Like I, I it, it, there wasn't like normal effects from that use, but when I got back home, um, I started having extreme psychosis. Um, to the point of having to be in the hospital for about a week. And um, I don't remember the first three days of being in the hospital. Had I was, you have had any other previous mental health No, I mean, issues? just depression, really, you yeah. know. But um, Nothing on that level or that Nothing extreme. that extreme, you know. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a religious experience, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I thought I was having a very, you know, I ne had never experienced psychosis before. And so it took me a good, from that one, one time, it took me a good six months to even be able to come back to normal. And um, from then, it was, I think, another, it was another year before I ever touched that stuff again. And um, it just so happened in December, uh, I was in Asheville, actually. Uh, had been down there helping a friend, um, a drag friend in the bar, you know, helped her backstage and um, just was hanging out with someone else and used and that began the process for me um, of, I guess, when, you know, I used in Asheville that once with that person and when I got back to Johnson City, I was so freaked out because I was scared thinking that, oh God, I'm going to end up in the hospital again. This is going to happen to me again. And it didn't. And when it didn't, I think that's when I was curious, like, well, that was kind of sort of fun. Let's do this again. Let's like, you know, I wonder, well, let's take a step back and kind of talk about what was going on in your life at that time, having gone through such a somewhat traumatic experience from using it the first time. Uh-huh. Taking almost a year to fully like re uh -huh. recoup from that to being willing to even do that again, um, like uh, risking risking going through that all over right. again. And also too, I want I, I seen on the preview for the show that one or both of you struggle with sex addiction, which we don't talk about that a lot. Mm -hmm. But that obviously that's a, that's a you know a huge thing too. And 
in this recovery movement. So uh, if was that going on as well? Was that coupled with the yeah, substitutes? So I'm I'm the one that specifically is in recovery from sexual acting out and things like that. And um, for me, my use of methamphetamine was very tied in with my sexual life. Um, and you know, so the first time I ever used, like you said, you know, what led from the point of like from that one year and that one bad experience, um, the person I had went down there to hang out with, you know, we had met for, um, you know, with the intention of, you know, um, hooking up and things like that. And I guess because the I, I've thought the way I've thought about it, because the use went along with, you know, sex at the time that it just kind of coupled that together for me. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I've done some reading, you know, on the subject and, and things like that, but, you know, it really kind of just sent me down this this path of using and sexual acting out mm-hmm. um, for think, at least two years, Yeah. you know. I think that that <clears throat> combination that you described is mm-hmm. more common than you know, we talk about, right? It, it like, doesn't get just, talked about very much. That just enlightened me because now I'm starting to think back to my, yeah, when I was using, man, I was, yeah. I was doing the same thing, yeah. you know, like laying up with anything. And... But we identify <laughs> as people in long-term recovery from a substance use yeah. disorders, mm-hmm. right? Right. But all of the that drug use was focused around like sexual behaviors, even mm-hmm. just like simple like alcohol use, going out to the bars and nightclubs and, Waking up yeah. beside somebody that yeah. you want to, you know, make you want to chew your arm off. But of it doesn't. You, <laughs> you still got, you still got both your arms, man. Well, I thought about it a few times. <laughs> the bad part is I laugh because we've been there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, what have I done? Yeah. Get me out of this one, Lord. It's so common, but it doesn't like, you know, the spotlight doesn't get put on it. No. It's the, right. it's the behaviors. It's not the substance. Well, right? you know, there's there someone I was speaking with before coming on to the show was saying, you know, identify it maybe as more, you know, substance and process addiction. Certainly. And it is. You know, there is a process and there's a substance to it as well. But um, it, it, it was just this pattern for me that was so unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, it... It became this thing for me that whenever I was trying to look for someone, you know, as a sexual partner, if the drugs was not involved, then it wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, now that I'm in recovery, looking back over even my sexual patterns before substances, I realized before substances ever entered the picture, I had a sexual addiction as well. And you weren't aware of it at the time until you learned about Not really. recovery. You know, because I thought that for me that, exactly right, I didn't learn about it really until after recovery because I thought that for me, you know, I had been in, when I moved to Johnson City, I moved to be with someone. Um, mm-hmm. We were in a relationship for, my first relationship, we were in a relationship for seven years. And during that relationship, you know, we had... Um, consensual open relationship and and things like that which never was peaceful it was on again off again and our on again off again never really met up (laughs) all Mm -hmm. the time but um after that relationship ended i had another short-term relationship but then whenever i got alone and was single and had my first apartment by myself i was like okay let's you know i have the freedom to be able to 
you know, have friends over, do whatever I want, and that just became a spiral in itself. Um, you know, I, I recently remembered, so I, 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 I'm in recovery, like you said, you know, I, I focus on, for me, substance abuse, but I also focus on my sexual addiction. And when I, I go to meetings for that, you know, I started going to a meeting for uh, sexual addiction specifically. And the first time I was there, I was so freaking nervous. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to look anybody in the eyes. Um, there's a shame aspect that goes along with it, definitely. And um, I heard in, this, in their format, they suggested, you know, at least come six times and see if that's something that is for you. And I was like, okay, I'll allow myself to come, you know, to see if that's something I, I need. And by about time four or five, uh, someone else shared something that it really made me, like I said, you know, remember before substances, um, you know, there was a pattern of me looking for sexual partners obsessively and compulsively to the point where I would be exhausted from encounters with people and I'm still looking. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. literally coming home, collapse on my bed from exhaustion, and I'm still looking for somebody. And you know, pairing that with, pairing that with the substance abuse, uh, you know, in the age of dating apps and dating websites and things like that, that's where I found my drugs. You know, mm. when in, in I combination oh, to, powerful. The, to the pursuit of yeah, because uh, for me, like when I first entered in recovery, I thought. I would not be able to give up the dating apps just as much as I wouldn't be able to give up the drugs. Um, the thought of even getting off the dating apps freaked me out so much just to th because, you know, there, there are dating apps that are specific to the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. um, and for in one sense of the word, you know, it was a place to look for hookups and, and for drugs and things like that, but then it's also just a place for community. I mean, I used to just message friends on there. You know, I'd see somebody was close or whatever, just like you would on Facebook Messenger, yeah. and used it just as a communication form um, because it's my community. It's, you know, somewhere I felt safe. So even thinking about getting off of that when I went into recovery just freaked me out. When you began to pursue recovery from the substance use mm -hmm. were you aware of that being an issue the sexual addiction mm -hmm. absolutely okay. i mean because and that like, were you were you going into seeking to change both yeah at yeah, that so time I was going to ask, or were you just working going on for both? substances and then you kind of had the realization to mm -hmm. My my using was so tied up in my sexual life that for me to go into recovery for substances and not focus on my sexual addiction, it wouldn't have been possible. It wouldn't have happened. It literally was like they refused together. Okay. Um, and when I started seeking out, uh, so my main method is in 12-step recovery. When mm -hmm. I started seeking out sponsorship, uh, <laughs> I had to look for someone who... I knew that once I would get to the parts of having to discuss my addiction, um, that I needed someone who would be understanding of that. Um, because if they couldn't understand that part of my addiction, they 
and wanted to only focus on substances, it's really n- it was not going to be. I could I can't talk about one without talking about the other. There's no way. Yeah. Um, because that's how my drug addiction manifested itself. Sure. Um, in the physical manifestation of using, when I use, I want to act out. Mm-hmm. There's no other way around it. I, I literally am completely powerless yes. to the point of. Yeah, it's yeah. there's no way. I That's mean, so if I relatable, use, if I really use, I so want to act out. Uh-huh. You know, we we feel ourselves. You know, we're we're with substances and, and toxic relationships and all that's got to stop. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If we're really going to, if we're going to strive and, and thrive in recovery. Corey, how does your story differ from? Well, for one, we had totally different. Um, DOCs or drugs <laughs> of choice. Thankfully, <laughs> that that's actually been a good thing. It's <clears throat> part of our foundation that it was separate. Um, let's see. Wow, where does it start? I guess um, actually, when I was in high school, my parents kind of went through a separation, and um, my stepdad had decided to move away, and my mother she. Bless her heart. I hope she's not listening. But if she is, I'm sorry, Mom. Hey, it's NC Raw, baby. Lay um, down here. <laughs> I actually used with my mother. Mm-hmm. And that's where it kind of started. And where I was introduced to new substances along the way, even throughout or the last my senior year of high school, I'd experimented with them, um, pills and pot. But um Further along down the line, as I grow older, I, I noticed that opiates were a thing for me, mm-hmm. and um, and it led up to cocaine, marijuana, and it was more. I don't know. It was more of a combination of all of them combined. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I got into recovery, though, I'll skip through. Let's see. Well, I had a, I had a experimented with methamphetamine back in maybe about eight or nine years ago. I can't even remember now. But um, it got to the point where I had to move locations because I was using with my stepdad. Thankfully, I moved you, you to... You did that because you saw it becoming a problem or like more as a preventative measure so more, that it yeah. didn't escalate? Yeah, more as a preventative problem because I was like, I was always... I was with a previous an ex partner at the time, and I noticed the manipulation and the deceitfulness I was doing. But I noticed how bad it was taking effect of me. Mm-hmm. So um, I decided to move to D.C. where my cousin lives. And uh, the week actually after I moved up there, my um, my stepdad. <laughs> Caught some charges for an accident that was related to drugs. And now he is doing eight years in prison for those actions. <laughs> but um, I moved to Asheville afterwards. I was like, D.C. is not for me. It is too busy. I-95, <laughs> no, forget it. So I moved to Asheville, and I was like, all right, this is a clean slate for me. This is growing great. Um, I started nursing school in 2014. 
and I graduated nursing school in 2016. Was, was, were you still using substances throughout all this time? Or? I was smoking pot, yeah, and occasionally, every now and then, a pill or two, but it wasn't never severe. It wasn't like necessarily I, part of your lifestyle. It wasn't or, part of my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I was like, I know I've got to change, but this is where um, I was like, this is my new break, this is my new move, and I uh, went to nursing school, graduated, and then... It's funny while I'm working while I'm in nursing school, I work for Starbucks coffee company downtown Asheville, Charlotte Street, <laughs> and um, it, it's funny. Um, the the twelve step fellowship that I'm part of is um, a lot of the the people or the fellowship meets there prior to. Yeah. And um, I got to know so my network know before the, I knew my network. <laughs> before you actually became a part of it. Right. I was okay. like, these people are always coming in, and I don't know why they're here, but they're always Did you ever find around. out before? Like, did you ask them at the, all? Did you ever? That's how I met yeah. my sponsor. Okay. But I, mm. I became close with my sponsor before she was my sponsor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. <laughs> and um, so she kind of opened up, broke her anonymity to me, and so I, I kept in contact with her because she um, she has – I can relate to her, mm-hmm. basically. I'm not trying to break anonymity. But, yeah, um, I could relate to her a lot, and we shared personal stories, and she was always supportive of me going through school and everything. She guys kind of just created a friendship over, like, this kind of customer – barista relationship yeah. became a friendship yeah the customer connection that's mm-hmm. what that's what i created and i got to know a lot of people in the fellowship that way um but once i graduated high school or nursing school and i got my license i started working for a company as a as a brand new nurse and it was going really good at the time but then i noticed how easily i had access mm-hmm. to certain things um and it was, it was, and I, it kind of gave me this feeling of like a God complex in a way. I, I felt a power. Yeah. It was like, like a powerful it. thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, I hadn't worked a certain hallway on the, at this, uh, facility and it was about six months into it. And I'm like, you know what? I think I'm doing a good job because I've not had a patient pass away. Anytime they'd like get worse, I could catch it. Until I finally had the one patient I could not save. And that's when, like, the trigger just flipped. And um, So based off of, like, not being able to cope with this experience with a patient, that kind of, like, influenced mm-hmm. yeah, the I, decisions it, that you were getting ready to make. Yeah, it, it, it hurt. Like, I was just like, oh, wow. So it kind of, like, I hurt my ego. But, and the only way I knew from my previous life was drugs mm-hmm. I was like well that numbed everything that numbed the pain because yeah. I didn't want to seek counseling in the in the nursing profession they're always like oh you can't show your emotions you you've got to be strong and you've got to hold a maintain a face and I'm just like bullshit <laughs> <laughs> but um it started that way but I started mixing like I started small and then I went big um to the the heavier the heavier opiates and I started mixing them with other other things like cocaine and doing different routes of administration to myself mm-hmm. and I ended up getting caught and now you were doing this 
like at home after your shifts? Or While is it I'm on the clock. On the on the job. Okay. I was on the job. Yeah. Mm. So I mean, yeah, it was it was scary. Mm-hmm. How did they approach you when they? Um, the DON at the time had contacted me and said, "Oh, we're we've exhibited some behaviors that you're you're displaying out on the floor, so um, we need you to come in and just kind of chit chat, see what's going on." Mm-hmm. So um, I came in. They wanted a drug screen, and I thought I could be slick because I had some urine hid, you know. <laughs> just but in I case. didn't know. Just in I, case. <laughs> didn't, just in case. Yeah. <laughs> But I did not know that it was going to be an observed screen. And I ended up submitting for it anyway because I knew I knew I was caught. So you were pretty open with them. You were ready to come clean when they were yeah, somewhat. Yeah, and um I come I come clean with them. I told them I said, I'm gonna fail the drug screen. You're gonna find this. And that evening I get a phone call from Ashville. Asheville police saying, uh, we need to, we're doing an investigation because, uh, you were stealing medications. And so I submitted to that. And the next day I was arrested and charged with a felony embezzlement of controlled substances by an employee. Mm-hmm. Hmm. How, so, what, when was this? How long ago was this? This was in April of last year, uh, 2017. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, what year is this? Yeah. <laughs> April of twenty seventeen is when it when it started, my recovery process. That was about the first two weeks of April when that happened. I still did not have the um I don't know, I I guess my uh what's that we say? My denial game was strong. Mm-hmm. During that time, my denial was strong, and I didn't realize that I still had a problem. I was still using, and I was finding ways, anything that I could get a hold of, just to just to stay high and kind of numb out those pain, the painful feelings from that. So, um, wow. Um, my clean date's April 30th, but that was the last day I used substances. Um, I entered into a treatment program for an IOP group. So but, what kind of, what was that, like what kind of, you fa- you were arrested and faced these charges, mm-hmm. right? And they offered you a diversion program or what did you? Yeah, well, it? Um, it kept getting put on hold. and I don't So know. you were proactive with it yes. while you were going through the judicial yeah. system, you went ahead and actively engaged in the IOP program in my IOP after a couple of weeks, but I did get reported to the board of nursing and mm-hmm. that's when it really got strong for me. Cause I was contacted by the board of nursing at the end of April. Yeah. Excuse my ignorance, but what's IOP? It's an intensive outpatient intensive program. Outpatient. Yeah. I should know that. Yeah. The oh. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> when you when you got the call from the what you say nursing North license Carolina. or North yeah, the board the state of the board of the board of nursing, and that's yes. when you're like, okay, my whole career is on the line, right? Yes, because like, I won't ever be able to work uh, work. I'll lose my license. I won't be able to work right. again. All those years of schooling, all the effort and energy mm-hmm. that I've put into it, and uh, sounds like you're pretty good at your job, right? Like I, lo- I loved it. I loved my job. Yeah. Loved it, and um. Yeah, the the board of nursing called, and they was like, we need you to come in for an interview. Um, we're putting you in this uh, AP program. It's an AP um, alternative program for chemical dependency. There we go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
it, its requirements were <laughs> my um, nursing license had to be suspended for a minimum of three months. Uh-huh. And I had to do the IOP group, which I had already started, was proactive mm-hmm. on doing that. And I had to see an addictionologist mm-hmm. who's someone who's... A what? Yeah. 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 Someone with... <laughs> yeah. It's basically... A person who specializes in addiction with a PhD. A PhD, a PhD <laughs> that specializes in addiction. There's not a whole lot of them around here. I don't know. No. And it's called addiction. An addictionologist. Okay. And that was a. Hmm. It's a pretty hefty penny, and there were very few in North Carolina. I had to travel to Charlotte to see this person. And I'm also assuming that all of these expenses had to come out of your own pocket. My pocket. Right? So the IOP to see the specialist, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Yes, to see them and. I'm also with while, while you're not working. While I'm not working as a nurse, <laughs> right. thankfully there was a Hoppy grocery store downtown, Hoppy and Company. They're amazing. Who is fabulous for giving people second chances? Um, they hired me on. I was I was came clean to them at first. I'm like, this is what I'm going through. I've got to go do this. Got to do that. I need a job. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, all right, come on, let's go. Uh-huh. But um, with the Board of Nursing, I am required Monday through Friday to check in for random drug screens. If I'm selected to go screen. You're talking about right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how you got there, though. Let's how I got take, there. Let's step back well, that, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that started. You kind of talked about the... the three months and going through all that stuff. So you saw the addiction knowledgeist. Mm-hmm. And what did they, what was their recommendation or what did they do? They recommended I still continue meetings mm-hmm. and work um, with a sponsor. And you completed the IOP program? I've completed the IOP. How long was that? That was a 90-day program. So you did the 90 days IOP mm-hmm. and then you were eligible to return to nursing mm-hmm. under these circumstances. Under a lot of circumstances. Let's go ahead. Yeah. What are they? Okay. So Monday through <laughs> Friday, um, even when I started the process with the Board of Nursing, like I have to check in Monday through Friday for a random drug screen. So you call them every morning. There's mm-hmm. an app for that. Thankfully, yeah. there's an app for that <laughs> one. For that one. I, do, I had to have to do a double check-in, but uh-huh. there's an app for that one. And anytime I'm selected to screen, it's a $78 out-of-pocket charge. How often does that realistically? How often does that happen? Once, twice a month. Okay. Just it just. Wow, depends. I still run into yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. Wow. It, Add all this up, man. I, I think I paid yeah. out sixteen hundred dollars since since yeah. I've started this, um, but that's Monday through Friday, with that and uh, wow. Um, let's see. Well, ha- let's go having yeah. having completed the IOP and going through all that with uh, the nursing board. Mm-hmm. What was the outcome of your court case? Well, that that's where I'm getting to okay. now. <laughs> so um, in October, I got a call from my attorney that said, "Okay, we are going. The DA is not going to push your case back anymore for you to because that's what we were doing was waiting to get my license back." And um, so, if you could complete all of these terms, you can mm-hmm. go to the judge and say, "Hey, this is what he's done. He's earned his license back. He's really, you know." Yeah. Okay, I'm with you. So um. But it was uh, in October, I think October the 12th is whenever um, I had to show up in, in court and actually pled into drug court, mm-hmm. which is um, the adult, adult drug treatment court. Mm-hmm. Basically, I, I go to court every other week, mm-hmm. talk to a judge, and I participate in my recovery. There's certain requirements that kind of correlates with the Board of Nursing, and then my charges will be dis disposition once I complete it successfully after a certain amount of time. Okay. 
So, um, but when I pled into drug court, my world like crumbled. I was like, I haven't heard from the board of nursing and I'm still waiting to hear back from them. And, um, it, it was funny. It was the, the week after I pled into drug court is whenever I got the call from the board of nursing that my license were being reinstated, got them back, but I'm also getting from drug court an ankle monitor for 90 days, okay. <laughs> the same day. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it was a, it was a, it was a bittersweet experience. I was glad I was able to go back to work as a nurse, but the drug court process was really starting on me. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know. That's, uh, that's how it started. Like the whole me getting my license back. Um, now, um, how long have you been working since now? I got, I've got a nurse, I got a nursing job in November after okay. my license wow. was reinstated. And, um, the, the funny part is, which I, I'm grateful for this, but, um, it was the same nursing home where I was caught diverting who gave me my job back. Oh, wow. How about that, Caleb? I just talking about, about full, full circle. I know, right? right? They gave me my job back, and I was working as a wound care, wound, in wound care. Was it the same uh, leadership as far as that goes? Was it same same leadership. Okay. Same leadership, same administration, and they were like, we we liked you as a nurse, and we'd love to have you back, and just just don't do this again. <laughs> That's amazing. How you know many? I mean? Yeah. How that, many places? Right. Would, like, value their employees that much to. And about second chances and just, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's that's what this is all about. This um, seeing people for people and, and love and forgiveness and compassion. That's how that's how we change this culture, mm-hmm. you know, and make, make an impact in this re- recovery movement. That's, that's awesome. Right. Yeah, that's and, cool. And since then, I've actually received a, um, a promotion in a way. Um, it's a different position, but it's in administration as I'm, I'm working as a unit manager and staff development coordinator. Wow. Hear that, bro? It's amazing. I got a question. Sure. I'm trying to figure out how to. <laughs> All while doing recovery yeah, and, and actively the working in the drug, drug court. court and probation. Well, you're killing it. Yeah. Congratulations, buddy. Thank you. Proud of you. Um, how does. <laughs> now, this is a tough one, guys. <laughs> <laughs> how does. Your sex addiction, how does how does that work in your relationship now? Like, how do you work through that? What does that look like? Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, um, how do you separate the behaviors behind yeah. the? Absolutely. I'll, I'll I'll be straight up in, in so like, um, I I attend I attend. 12-step meetings for sexual and romantic obsession. Um, Does that look like NA now? Is it, is it the same kind of... It's It follows a 12, 12-step recovery path. Okay. Um, and it's a separate fellowship. But, um, you know, I attend... There's only one of those meetings that men are allowed to go to um, in Asheville on Saturday mornings. And... Um, you know, I have I've tried. I haven't found a sponsor in that program. I've not began working any sort of step, you know, work or process in that recovery fellowship. But I do still go and I attend them, and I consider myself to be a person, you know, in recovery for sexual and romantic obsession. 
um, when it comes to our relationship. So um, I guess I'd like to go back and talk about like kind of how we met. So mm-hmm. we met in 12-step recovery for substances. Um, and it wasn't, you know, fr- at, by the time that I had entered into recovery last, last April was my original clean date. And um, I I was doing meetings very sporadically, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, give myself a break on Thursday and maybe hit one on the weekends, you know. It was, it was a cool thing to go to, but it wasn't like, you know, I'm committed to this. I even tried an IOP program myself, absolutely hated it, um, did not find it helpful at all. Um, and 34 days into my recovery is when Corey and I met. And at that point, like I said, where I was finding my drugs and where I was finding my substances, you know, when I was in Johnson City, um, I knew all the community up there, all the, you know, the gay community up there mostly, um, and knew where to get substances. When I came down here, I knew a few people because, you know, I had first used here. Um, and I hope my parents aren't listening. When I moved back here, <laughs> when I moved back here, you know, I was I was living with them. They had brought me back down here. I was still using, um, even though I was, you know, living with them. And um, I, there was a there was one morning I was I was I didn't have a job. I didn't have any money of my own, and. Um, I had been filtering money from my parents, you know, to be able to get substances. Um, and we'll work on that when I get to it. But, um, you know, the guilt of doing that, you know, because I was hearing them having their struggles in their life, you know, um, the guilt of doing that is what helped me to first seek out, okay, I've got to get this problem taken care of. I can't do this anymore. So that was what kind of led up to you. That's what led me to getting, yeah. You know, and I had even had an intervention, you know, official intervention, you know, um, from Mm. my friends in Johnson City. Um, You know, I had, my parents, my mom had brought me back down here and they basically literally kidnapped me to come back here. And um, I, I was able to get up there and I used when I got up there and it was so, I had been, abstinent for a week and I tried to use what I normally would and it sent me into such a I don't even want to know what to call it a rage um now was this at the same time they had an intervention that you know this rage? is what led them to give me the intervention okay. my, you know because I I was <clears throat> I was attacking people um <laughs> I I was at my apartment and the way the apartment set up they were um, four students, you had your own bathroom, your own, you know, bedroom and things like that. And, um, yeah, tried to attack my roommate. And then once I got scared and thought that I was going to be, you know, in trouble, I ran down to the college campus, almost attacked somebody there. So my friends were like, you have got to stop. And they literally, you know, all of them phone, a few phone calls later and they're on the phone and they're all sitting here in a friend's living room and like, you've got to get help. You've got to stop. Um, How receptive. Yeah, it does want to message. I was so numb, literally numb that I, I remember sitting there and it was like allowing them to just talk. Um, the one who got through to me the most was my best friend, Angela. Um, 
I love that woman. She, I miss her so much. Uh, she and I met. I, I was a hairstylist. I'm still, you know, I have my license in Tennessee and North Carolina. And um, she and I met working in the industry. And she was, she was the one who really her voice got through. But to be honest with you, the friend who picked me up to bring me to the intervention, I was talking to him the day after, and I was like, you know, apologizing to him for some of the things that I had done to him the day before. And I told him, I said, Josh, you know, I know I'm sorry, and I know I should feel like I'm sorry, but I don't feel that I'm sorry. I was like, you know, I, I know I am, and I know I should be feeling something, but I don't feel it. And he's like, that's what we're trying to fix, Sean. You know, um, I, I knew cognitively that I was wrong, but I didn't feel anything. Um, so, do you think that was the drugs? Oh, totally. I was, was I was so yeah. numb. Mm -hmm. um, I just didn't feel anything. Um, but anyway, so when I, when I got into recovery down here and started going to meetings is when he and I met. And, you know, I had... When I went, first started going to meetings and first started trying to get recovery from my substance abuse, I deleted all the apps, deleted um, all the profiles and things like that. And I don't remember that back then if I was treating it almost the same as, you know, you pick up your, your, your key tag or your you know, chip or whatever and start a program of abstinence from everything. I don't remember if that's how I treated it, but I knew that to recover from my substances, I had to get off the apps. Um, had to get off of the websites. Um, there's a code. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if the, anybody else knows this, and I, I know how it is for me in, in my addiction, but, like, you know, certain profiles would even have code in them. And I'm like, I would know who to talk to to get certain things because they would capitalize a letter or put a picture or, you know, and I'm just like, yeah. I had to get off there completely because if I were to see that or anything, it, it would just be the trigger that I would need to, hey, what are you doing, you know? So, but um, as far as our relationship with the, with the sexual recovery, um, you know, like I spoke before about my re previous relationship with a, a previous partner, we had an on-again, off-again, open relationship. Um, when Corey and I decided to, you know, actually begin a relationship, it was last August. And it totally blew me away because I, I was like, you know, I don't know how this is going to work, but I know that I love you. And I, f I want to be monogamous. And that freaked me out. It was foreign to... It freaked yeah. me out. Um, well, it still, in some ways, you know, freaks me out, but it's something that I work through, um, you know, and I reach out to my network in that recovery fellowship just as much, maybe not as much, but I do have people that I call and talk to, you know, if I'm ever freaking out or whatever. Talk to us about when you guys first met. Okay. <laughs> what was that like? Um... So the first time I ever saw Corey was at a meeting. Um, uh -huh. First time I ever saw him was at a meeting uh, in Asheville, and I, you know, we didn't get the chance to actually talk at that time, um, but I saw him at the meeting and tried to follow him home. Um, I didn't. <laughs> I only had a week clean. You what? Hey, you what? I only had a week clean at the time home? too. <laughs> yeah. So 
I'd never, I'd never been to this meeting before. Stalker. <laughs> no, I had never been to this meeting before, and I had went with some people in my home group, and you know they were like, "Here, you know, come with us to this meeting." So I rode with them, and I'm sitting on the wall, and you know Corey's sitting at a different table or whatever, and I looked over at the girl and I, that was with me. I was like, "Dang, there's some, there's some cute guys here." You know, I'd never been to an Asheville meeting. Yeah. And, Welcome um, to Asheville. You know, right? So um, <laughs> the meeting was over and everything, and she and I stepped outside to smoke a cigarette, and here comes Corey walking past me, stepped off the sidewalk and goes to his parking lot, and I just start following him. And she's like, where are you going? <laughs> I was like, oh, uh-huh. sorry. He didn't even see that. Did you but, talk to him that night? No. Okay. No, not at all. But How then, long did you follow him for? <laughs> no, you know, off the curb. I did get off the curb. Uh, I did get off the sidewalk. But um, so anyway, uh, the next week, actually, that was a Friday. The next week I went to my normal Tuesday night meeting, uh, which was an LGBT meeting. And um, I'm sitting there journaling. And all of a sudden I hear a car door slam down at the, the, the road. And I look over and it's him. And <laughs> he starts walking towards, it was in a house off of um, the campus of the Universal Unitarian Church in Asheville. So it was in a house, you know, next to the actual church. And uh, he starts walking towards the church, and I'm just sitting here watching him walk past. And I wanted to be like, are you trying to find the meeting? You know, like, <laughs> but I didn't want to also, like, you know. Um, blow his cover and crap, but, um, (laughs) do you need a meeting? Um, but anyway, and then he comes back and he walked up on the porch and I'm, I was sitting here journaling. Um, the funny thing is this, this week I found that journal. He was like, have you ever found that journal you were writing in? I was like, yeah. And like the first line, it was the day after my 30th birthday and it says, I'm 30 years old, man, do I feel old. And that's in one pen. And then after that is the rest of the journal entry in a different pen. And I was like, there's where Corey came in. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. But um, we met then, um, you know, and we met for lunch the next day. Mm-hmm. Shared our stories with each other. Uh, we went. He, I was, I was still living in Hendersonville. He came down there, and we met on Main Street and just shared our stories with each other. And um, I probably can count on two hands the days that you and I have been separated. Well, no, not including that ten days. But um, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, we've been fairly inseparable since then. Um, and we, you know, speaking for myself, you know, I realize that if I don't work on my recovery in all its forms, our relationship won't work. Corey, mm-hmm. what, what do you recall from those initial <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, because you were on the other end. Oh, I was on the other end. Um, it was it was interesting to, when I first met Sean, it was May the 9th, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> was this before, this was obviously after you was... Stalking him down the sidewalk. Yeah, yes. that was. The, did you feel? Did you feel violated that night? Could you feel somebody staring know. at you? <laughs> didn't even know. Didn't even know. And um, but it, it was funny that um, I was I was excited to go to this meeting and I met Sean and I was like, okay, yes, there's another male that I can kind of relate to that's also gay and and in recovery. That's just because it's so rare mm-hmm. to find anymore. 
And I, um, I'd like to talk about that after this a little bit. Yeah. That's something that we kind of talked about on the phone mm -hmm. yeah. is that the perception of the LGBT recovery community, it's not as like big or strong as we might think that it is specifically in Asheville. Mm -hmm. but carry on. But it, it was neat to, to meet someone and, um, I don't know we had we had this connection and i was like okay it's he's a recovery buddy yeah we'll go with that but then feelings got there and then things happen and <laughs> and um we made it to right around when he had about 64 days clean mm, yeah yeah and then something traumatic in a way kind of happened and uh I had my first relapse. Let's just yeah. Yeah, he he had he had relapsed, and when he had sixty four days, I had just picked up my thirty days, and I was like, "What is going on?" Like it it really was um, it was a big shock to me, but it was beneficial now that I look back on it. Um, I needed that to know that I do not have power over people, places, and things, and um that my recovery has to come first before I can put a friendship or a relationship or anything else in front of my recovery. If whatever I put in front of it, I'll lose. And, um, I kind of got a sense of that around 30 days. Right. Real quick. Yes. Real quick. You're welcome. <laughs> how did and, you, how did you respond when you, Oh, I, well, I called my sponsor mm -hmm. and, um, I know another nurse in the, in the, um, in the 12 step fellowship, who's also with the board of nursing program. She's been my sister from another mister as I, as we call each other. I'm a brother from another mother, but, um, <laughs> love her to death. But she was, she was the one who I really leaned on at that time. Cause I was kind of like a little lost puppy with the board of nursing and, and charges and getting in Lock recovery. I was like, yeah. I don't know what's going on. I'm a little lost puppy, but no, she kind of took me under her wing and she's been, part of my network and God, I love her to death, <laughs> but, um, it, it was, it was hard. It was really hard. So she suggested along with my sponsor, go to meetings, share about it. But, um, I don't know. He, he somewhat stayed in touch with me during this relapse and I kept telling everybody, I'm not going to talk to him, not going to talk to him, but I did anyway. <laughs> Because I, I still had that mentality, like, I can maybe help him or keep a seat warm for me in a meeting or whatnot. And uh, I'm just glad he came back around. How long <laughs> did that last, like, that return to use? So for that, for me, uh, was about 10 days. Um, and the crazy thing is, I, I, looking back on it, you know, like you said, I had about 64 days. I, I f it's weird. I felt it coming on almost like it was about to happen or mm -hmm. and I kept like we were talking about with the obsession with you know like tr keeping track of days it's like I kept feeling like okay there's a relapse coming there's something going on you know I know it's coming I know it's coming and I wonder now if I talked myself into it or if I really just felt like I was slipping and didn't know what to do when you're experiencing these feelings did you were you open with others that were in your recovery circle about it or did you kind of I kept telling people it? I kept telling people that 
you know, I could feel something coming. Maybe, you know, I felt like it was coming on, but they were just like, you know, adamant, go to meetings, call your sponsor, you know, all that good so stuff. So what could have helped prevent that? What, what, what I hear you saying? What was missing? Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Um, like, I, I don't, I don't respond very well to, like, tough critical love if no i don't think sense. anybody does no. you know, nobody you know, wants to be told what to do i'm you know? i'm one of those like even when my friends were trying to give me the intervention i'm like trying to call other people and you know the in active addiction and like come get me come rescue me um and you know when i was back out you know using he said he tried to keep in contact with me and things like that um if there's anyone who can keep me from using stop me from using i don't answer the phone i don't call them i just I avoid everything and everyone who can keep me from using. Um, and, you know, the night that I relapsed, I actually was at the meeting that he and I met at, and I'm sitting here on a dating app trying to find. You know, I know immediately for me, is first place I want to find something, get on a dating app and I can find it. Um, and, you know, I'm sitting there trying to so find in the meeting. The behavior started before yeah. the substance. Yes. You relapsed yeah. before you relapsed. Right? Absolutely. What brought you back? Um, I almost killed myself, yeah. I feel like. You know, um, I had been getting in contact with certain people who was who they were taking my money, not giving me, you know, whatever, um, and just having some runaround. But I finally got a hold of a large quantity and couldn't even wait till I got home. You know, and used in the bathroom of a gas station and about fucking took my head off. Excuse my language. Um, <laughs> it, um, and I had to drive away from that. And it was, I literally feel like, and I keep telling myself, I almost killed myself. Um, you know, because I, I don't, I don't know. It was bad. Uh, and then after that, and I told, I think I, did I call you, I think, and I told you that it had been that heinous. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I had another friend in, uh, he's still a friend of mine, a good friend of mine. I, I called him and I kept telling him, I was like, I don't want to come back until I know I'm ready and until I'm in the right mental headspace. I don't want to go back to meetings until I'm ready to fully. And he was like, dude, just come back. You know, I was afraid of the shame, the guilt, um, having to like admit in front of everybody, you know, that I had messed up. But I mean, I'd been gone for 10 days too. Nobody had seen me for 10 days. Um, I guess the you know motivation just to come back was just because you know and this is that's something. The minute I used after I had you know had that sixty four days clean, that was the first two months I had ever had clean, uh, in two years, and I just as soon as I used, I knew I had lost the feeling of being clean, and I don't know how better to explain it than that, but like the clarity of mind and the clarity of body and spirit that just left. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it was just, I was like, Ooh, this feels dirty. Right. You know, it just, it, I just feel gross, you know, um, like I needed to take a bath and it would never come off. Um, so mm -hmm. I wanted to get back to that place too. I, you know, even, even in just the first two months of, of in recovery, I could notice a difference. Um, I guess my only point from that is just anybody who's new into recovery, just hang on. Because if you don't feel it yet, you know, there it it, it does. There is a difference. 
Mm-hmm. At what point did you two reconnect when you came back? <laughs> um, I think pretty quickly. Somewhat. Uh, we, I mean, we reconnected it like you know as friends, recovery buddies. Mm-hmm. Um, for a while after that, you know, there had been some. See, during that relapse too, there was also sexual acting out. And, you know, I used the justification that, you know, we were friends, we were recovery buddies, and even if there had been a sexual component to our relationship, we weren't committed. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. We were not in a relationship. And um, so I used that as justification, you know, for all that too. And um, coming back into our relationship with each other, as friends, I, I actually had a conversation with Corey, and I was like, look, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to put myself in a situation where I'm going to hurt my, you know, myself emotionally. Uh, I really think that we should just be friends. Um, mm-hmm. There were other circumstances going on at the time um, that did not allow us to you know, pursue a full relationship. Mm-hmm. Um but I told him, I was like, you know, I really need to work on myself and figure out why I chose to go back. And I think you you agreed. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was painful. Yeah. But um, did kind of sort of step back and try to, it was kind of awkward if that really makes sense because, it you know, it was just, it was weird um, trying to just pull emotions back. And I really wasn't sure what I was feeling. I, I did not. I'm one of those people. I don't know if everybody has this problem. Whenever you f- try to not not get into a relationship, you find one. <laughs> yeah, it seems to happen to all of us. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. You know. <laughs> Me and Caitlin used to joke around about that all the time. When we first started talking, like, all right, we got these boundaries in place. We're not going across them. And Sound familiar, we- fellas? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> boundaries. We always boundaries, boundaries, and yeah, that didn't work. I don't like the boundary thing. Next, next thing you know, you're running across the country. I run, yeah, run across right. the country together. And then that was. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. That was see. So my relapse would have happened in June. June. Um, so my second clean date was in July, uh, and then it was August when I finally was like you know, wanting to pursue a relationship. Um, and from that, uh, August 25th is when we consider our anniversary date. Um, <laughs> the official date. That's coming up, bro. Yeah, That's the official up. date. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah. <laughs> so I want to, what, what do y'all's, how do you take care of your mind, body, and spirit nowadays? What does that look like? Wow. And uh, individually, and then how do you support one another's recovery? Well, me personally, um, I try to have a network of people who are not part of his network. Um, I don't know. It's just a, it's just a healthier boundary with that. Because sometimes, you know, even in a relationship, you've got to have somebody to vent to about the other person, whether it be good or bad. So I found it useful for myself to have people that are not part of his network in my network. Um, going to separate meetings. We, we try to hit up some in separate meetings. Um, wow. I actually seek 
I'm actually in therapy as well um, because I'm also part of an aftercare group as a requirement for the Board of Nursing. That was a year. It comes up in October. But um, I go to therapy. Well, what else do I do? I um, I also, um, it's a fun part of the story too. Um, I try, I've connected more with um, some family and noticing more about myself, I guess. I don't know, I feel like I'm rambling on right now. Um, <laughs> for, um, I, I've, I've tried to meditate. I try to reflect daily on, on what I do. And actually what helps me to kind of stay clear on my mind and just it helps keep the guilt and shame away is being more transparent about my background and my story. My coworkers know my past and my story, and I'm 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 actually proud of my story. Um, knowing that someone can mess up in my profession, but yet regain that back and become successful, it's it's amazing. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Sean. So for me, um, I, the biggest part for me in my recovery is meetings. Um, you know, I still go to one almost every day. Um, if I don't make one, I, I, I'm freaking out. Um, along with that, um, I know this might sound a little crazy. Um, I picked up an old hobby of mine. Um, I knit. And um, mm. taught myself to knit back uh, so well ten, about ten years ago. It was a dare, actually, um, <laughs> <laughs> knitting dare. Um, I was I was walking through the Walmart in Hendersonville with some fr- with uh, my cousins, and one of my cousins was about to have her first baby, and um, her sister was like, "What are you going to get her for her baby shower?" We were on the yarn aisle, and she was like, "You should knit her a blanket." And I'm like, "I don't knit." She's like, I bet you can't do it. I was like, watch me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's how I learned how to knit. I actually uh, taught myself from a book, made a baby blanket, and I'm like, there. But um, so when I'm sitting in meetings, I'm knitting. Um, <laughs> everybody's like, you're not paying attention. I'm like, no, I'm paying more attention than you really think. Um, you know, so if I, I honestly, I've gotten back into that since um, last August, and I, I've done it almost every day since. And it's like a meditation for me, actually. It's like a moving meditation because once you get into the movements of it, um, your mind kind of zones down and it kind of allows you to tune out everything around you. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I do, meetings. I, I read. I journal some. Um, I, I. There you go. Thank you. Brain working. Um, I, I'm really involved in service, actually, in the twelve step mm-hmm. fellowship that I'm a part of. Um, when I came back from that relapse, my home group was like, "You want to be our GSR?" Um, and I was like, "Oh, okay, cool." <laughs> You know, and um, I really enjoy being a part of uh, service in our area. Um, I've been part of the Public Relations Committee. I've been part of the um, Information Technology Committee um, with our website and things like that. Um, And just giving back to the community, you know, um, which is what I hope to do with my career. Um, I I don't know if substance abuse or substance use will be my, you know, main focus but i know that giving back is is something that i appreciate 
And let's talk about that for a little bit because throughout this entire process, what maybe off and on, you were in school, right? Rolling. Yeah. Yeah, so I was at school uh, in Johnson City. I, I went back to school um, at Northeast State Community College in 2011, and I was trying to get my nursing license. Um, and um, I was um, I went to school in Hendersonville, but when I moved there, I went to cosmetology school and then worked as a hairstylist for two years. But in 2011, went back for, to school for nursing. And I was sitting in anatomy and physiology, too, and I was just like, this is not what I want to do with my life anymore. You know, and my education shifted drastically. Um, instead of looking at something, looking at my education as something to get me more money, I started using it to educate and further myself. Um, so my associate's degree was in philosophy and religious studies um, because I was having a lot of spiritual questions at the time. Sure. And um, I went to school for that. And then in 2014, I began school at East Tennessee State University in the Human Services and Family Studies program. Um, you know, my goal after getting my philosophy degree um, I actually wanted to go into my, my goal still yet is to go into marriage and family therapy. Um, and I wanted to, I, I was putting it out there on Facebook with some friends. I was like, should I go and just get another philosophy degree? You know, cause I, I, there's a school of counseling that counsels from a philosophical perspective more than a psychological perspective. And so I was like, should I go just get a philosophy degree and continue with that? Cause I enjoyed it. Um, and one of my teachers actually suggested, you know, look and see if they have any sort of like, you know, family development classes. Mm -hmm. And um, I found the human services program, um, which for those who aren't really familiar, human services programs are very much like social work. Um, but my this is my um, difference in them is that they are human services to me, I feel like focuses more on the person and on the, you know, on the family or the system unit, like as a family, whereas social work focuses more on how to get people through the system, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, and I wanted to learn about human development and learning and family studies. And um, I graduated in 2017, last, <laughs> last, last fall. Last December. Last December. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was using all through... Um, my bachelor's level program and off and on. And the first thing to go for me was always school. I'd stop going to classes. Um, I would stop, you know, um, participating in exercises or I would stop doing assignments and my grades would really, I remember, uh, I remember specifically when I spoke with my advisor um, and told her you know, I have a substance abuse problem and I need to get help for this. I was so, so freaking scared to like publicly admit that to someone at my school. And, um, you know, and all this time I had been seeing a therapist in the counseling center at the school, um, but did not tell her this, you know. Um, but I wrote a letter one day to my um, advisor at, at the school and told her I had a substance abuse problem. And the response when it came back, I was scared to even open it. And um, I remember I was sitting on the, ba the balcony of my apartment, and I opened it and read it, and she congratulated me for being so brave to tell her this and to share this with her and told me that she would help me to withdraw successfully and that she hoped that I would get the help that I needed. 
uh, and to let her know if there's anything that she could do with that. Um, and she went even further to tell me that my experiences someday, she's like, this will help you. Um, and at the time, I didn't understand how, you know. You do now, though. I do. You know, that's something that, you know, we've both talked about a lot is for people who've never been addicted to a substance, to see it from the outside, you don't know what it's like. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. like I didn't realize how judgmental I was of sim- of simple homeless people or of someone who appears to be an addict. Um, I didn't realize how, and I, I was one, you know, and I am one, but didn't realize how judgmental I was of those people. And now that I've experienced it myself, it's given me a whole new level of empathy uh, and compassion for those people. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my people, <laughs> yeah. those people, you know. <laughs> yeah, I can I can completely relate because I used to see people with an ankle monitor on and be like, oh, no, you better hide your phone, hide your wallet, hide your <laughs> keys. They're going to steal it. And then here I am with one for 90 days. While you're going I, to work or whatever. While I'm going to work. <laughs> And trying to hide those three <clears throat> pair of white scrubs is kind of hard. <laughs> but no, it did. It opened me up to um, to how judgmental, I guess, I, I was as a person. And it's it's helped me to kind of understand um, how people go through stuff and what they do. Their past does not define who they are today. And it it, <laughs> it really has been a humbling and eye-opening experience for me and I'm actually grateful for everything yeah. that's happened to me because I mean it's made me a better person today yeah I can say the same thing I, you know being grateful for my addiction I never thought that I'd be grateful for my addiction in those turbulent times in my life um, with the sexual acting out with the craziness that that brought and with the craziness that my substance use brought and um, I'm very grateful that I went through that because, and here's something else I'm grateful for, the lessons that I learned in active addiction just about life. I'm not saying go out and get addicted to anything, you know. (laughs) I'm not saying that at all, but the things that I learned in my, I don't discount that either. You know, life is supposed to be a a total experience, and I don't try and, you know, get rid of the things that, um, you know, there's some things I learned in addiction that have helped make me a better person. Um, but learning how to transmute that through recovery and becoming stronger from that, it, it's been worth it. Um, so, yeah. One of the things that, you know, we're, we're really trying to, to change is the stigma, mm-hmm. you know, and the, that stigma that comes whenever we, like you were saying, you know, you see, you think, uh, someone's an addict. I, I don't... Richie Tanner Hill, the amazing Richie Tanner Hill, he he scolded me on this. Not scolded me, he just he enlightened me. Um, mm. That those that still suffer, and we we got to try to make a better way to, you know, because that stigma keeps people from reaching out for help and stuff. Mm. And so, you know, we're we're not. How can I put this? I wish Caitlin had a microphone right now. She can help me. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're trying to to get away from using those words. Mm-hmm. You know, addict, failing, junkie, because we're so much more than that. Like yeah. you were saying, that's something that we experience. That's not who we are. And so even with homeless, like, oh, it's a homeless person. No, that's not 
what they are that's they're, they're experiencing homelessness and so it's just trying to change that perception you know and mm-hmm. look at things differently in a better light and speak life over people you know that for me my, my recovery is faith-based and so I, mm-hmm. I, I call you know I'm a, I'm a child of God you know I'm, and so that I call myself blessed and highly favored that's what God calls me so that's what I call myself mm-hmm. and so I'm not going to call anybody else something that God doesn't call them or something that God right. doesn't see them as so you know, that's what we're trying to do is change that whole perception and, yeah. and stay away from that language. Mm-hmm. So, What's next for you, man? Um, so this week unboxing. Uh, <laughs> 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 this week unboxing. Uh, next week, actually, I'm uh, taking my peer support specialist. All okay. right. Um, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited for that. Um, Where at? Uh, through VIA. Okay. Uh, in Asheville. Um, and so that's all week next week. Uh-huh. Um, I've already taken, uh, the wellness recovery action plan. Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> took that. Right, that's awesome. Took that a couple weeks ago. Um, and, uh, enjoyed that, you know, made a sweater. No, I actually it was a scarf. <laughs> Sorry. Can, can, I put, can I put an order in for a pair of socks? Some mittens, raw socks, man. Not mittens. tried socks Give yet. some mittens, please. Yeah. Sit here on the show with some mittens on. I almost brought it, but you know, I was like, no, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be focusing. Um, but yeah, I'm taking my peer support next week, and um, you know, I've can toss back the idea of going to to school. Um, but I would really love, you know, right now I'm unemployed myself, so I'm just allowing time to be time and holding on, hoping for the best mm-hmm. um, and trying to put my recovery into practice, Yeah, you know? So, but I'm, I'm really excited about the peer support. I think that's going to open up a lot of doors and I think it will be very personally, um, personally enlightening. So very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In your opinion, like what, what are the opportunities in the LGBT community when it comes to recovery? Like what's missing? What, how are you going to be that messenger of hope going back into your community? Well, I mean, yeah. So I, you know, I, I, I had an experience recently. My sponsor contacted me and was like, "Hey, I want you to talk to this guy. He's gay, and he needs to hear from somebody." And I'm like, "Wow, I'm the kind of person that someone's referring. You know, like, hey, talk to me." And it's, you know, um, I, I, it's. The thing I had to learn in my own recovery is to focus on the similarities and not the differences. Mm-hmm. You know, while it was a LGBT meeting that made me comfortable enough to seek out 12-step recovery, um, you know, I wasn't really comfortable to go because honestly, the language of the 12-step you know, program sometimes really throws me off, um, especially the God, as, you know, aspects of God. You know, it really kind of was something that would keep me away from it. And the only reason I went was because there was an LGBT meeting. So I'm grateful for that meeting. Um, you know, I, I have my thoughts about why there might be so few in recovery that are LGBT. I mean, I know I, I can only speak for myself, but um, that pattern of sex and drugs that I was in, there is such a huge culture of that in the LGBT community. Um it's it's almost foreign for people that I knew to have clean or sober sex. Yeah. Um, and the first time I ever did have clean, sober sex, it was so foreign to me. I cried, and I'm you know I'm a man, and there's a lot of people who are like men. You know, I'm I'm 
I like sharing that part of my story. You know, men have feelings too. And um, I cried because I didn't know how to handle it. Um, luckily, I was with somebody that, you know, was very understanding. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like maybe it's just, it's such a, a trap to get in, you know. I read this book in early recovery called uh, Lust, Men, and Myth, and it specifically talks about like, uh, I, I learned about it through a doctor's office. Uh, it talks specifically about the problem of gay men, the club scene, um, methamphetamine addiction, and partying. And um, some of the suggestions in that book I did not take. I knew I couldn't take. Um, but a lot of that information, it, it, it made me see how, like I said earlier, that my substance use and my sexual life had become fused. Mm -hmm. um, you know, drugs are called dope for a reason. You know, they work on dopamine receptors. And so when you have sex, there's also dopamine that's released. And, you know, I was looking at, in that book, it was talking about like the levels of, you know, dopamine that's released at like, you know, someone having sex, someone, you know, eating cake and, you know, doing different things and showing the amounts that were released when you do methamphetamine was, uh, was staggering. Um, it's, it, it's, it's crazy to even think about and see that. But when you start equating that feeling with the same feeling that you have with sex and the psychology behind it, um, it, there, it, it's all that it can happen is for it to become fused. You know, that's just the natural progression. Um, you know, his his suggestion in the book, the one that I couldn't take, was to be, you know, abstinent from sex outside, you know, sex with other people and self for six months. And I was like, wait, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that can be possible for me. Um, and there are several different, you know, methods of sexual addiction recovery that some people are like, you know, you need to check in before you do this or you need to have this period of abstinence before you do that. Um, since I've yet to begun working with a sponsor or someone, you know, in that area of my recovery, you know, um, not professionally, but, you know, officially, um, I don't know how that's going to translate into my relationship right now. Um, but I don't think I can take that suggestion, you know, that's six months. <laughs> <laughs> But just taking, just staying away from activities that, you know, lead me into the path of, you know, obsession and compulsion. You know, when I first read the basic text from my 12-step fellowship and read that it was all about obsession and compulsion, my mind was literally blown. I was like, really? That's what addiction is? Yeah, you're OCD, Sean. You know, it's like <laughs> there's so many other things and so many other areas in my life that I'm OCD and that I'm so, um, you know, I get so, I get another addiction of mine is books. Yeah. You know, I. It's true. I, <laughs> you just had to. I just moved move a bunch of boxes. Yeah. <laughs> half of a van full. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and I get addic addicted to, you know, the the action of going and buying a book. I know that sounds silly, but, you know. I was uh, up till 2 o'clock in the morning last night scouring the library <laughs> website looking for a new ebook to read. So yeah. Totally <laughs> there you what go. What did you decide on? I couldn't find anything that they had in stock. I added, like, five <laughs> books to my wish list that I'm waiting for. Because it's, like, free. You know, you get it free from the library on the Kindle thing. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned that 
a lot of much of the language in the 12-step community didn't necessarily connect with however spirituality does play a significant mm-hmm. role in both of your mm-hmm. process to recovery so talk a little bit about like what that spirituality looks like and how it influences your recovery with my spirituality it um it's actually helped me to connect more with nature i'm I don't necessarily feel that there is a like a higher power could be named for me in my experience, but my higher power is a water element. Um, it's something greater than myself. It, that's just for me. That's how my higher power is. It's something that gets me out of myself and has can change things that I can't. <laughs> um, we've recently um, started going to the Unitarian Universalist Church or Universalist Unitarian Church of Asheville. Um, which, is also where which, you, is, which is also where you met, right? That's yeah. where we <laughs> met at the little house behind there that they the church owns. But we've actually started going hey, there. The meeting's over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so we've been we've we've been joining that fellowship um for church and they're very inclusive and they um, kinda help people of all faiths and of no faiths. So, um, I don't know. It's been, it's been a good experience for both of us. Um, and it's been something fun for our relationship too. Um, the spirituality though, of the fellowship though, is kind of like our foundation of our relationship. I I was going to say the same thing for me in my spiritual life. Like I said, you know, I had an aversion to, um, the God aspect. You know, I grew up extremely uh, religious. And um, because of my life experiences and because of some of the circumstances in my life, um, I don't identify with the religion of my you know, birth. I don't identify with that anymore. Um, and that's been its own journey. Um, you know, I've gone from feeling like a religious to being, you know, I, I've practiced as a, a pagan for since 2008, um, you know, pagan spirituality, Wicca specifically. Um, and, you know, I find a lot of connection in the symbology and the the nature aspects of that and being able to view God as both male or female um, rather than being set to any one of a rigid standpoint of um, no offense to anyone who does identify as something who, for me, these are things that I'm saying for me. Um, and, you know, coming into the fellowship of, you know, 12-step recovery, um, I realized I needed that for recovery. And um, I see a lot of similarities in those meetings two ways that, you know, religious services conducted even in paganism. Um, we meet in a circle. We, um, you know, have the readings that you do before a meeting, and it sets that tone. It sets that space for recovery. And I see that as relating to that a lot. Um, and like Corey said, we've recently begun going to the Universal Unitarian Church. Um, you know, I started, we wanted to go there because, well, I went there um, you were he was working on the weekends at a job in Burnsville 
mm-hmm. and wasn't able to go the first time I went. Um, and I had went to the one in Johnson City, <clears throat> but I chose to go because of their sermon topic that Sunday. Um, I was working on my third step, and um, which is about um, you know asking for your higher power's help in you know taking over your will in your life. And to me, that just sounded too much like um, the religion that I grew up in. And it was not something that I was having an easy time with. And the sermon topic at the Universal Unitarian Church that Sunday was getting unstuck in your spiritual life. And I went, and you know, when I was there, I was moved to tears just you know, from the spirit there, from the what she was saying in her message. And I went back. And, you know, it was a couple of weeks later until Corey was able actually to come with me. Um, I think your first sermon was Music Sunday, and they were, you know, just doing a music service. But, you know, it's been something that's helped me feel connected to spirituality even deeper than just 12-step recovery. And also mm-hmm. pro- providing that extra layer of like fellowship, a new community. Yeah. yeah, it's an absolutely a new community, and that's another thing I like about it too. Because you know, um, they are people who are not always in recovery. There are some people that are in recovery that go there too. But um, it's, it, I've been scared to you know branch out and and try and form a network outside of the recovery fellowship, mm-hmm. um, because I don't want to be hanging out with someone who chooses to like oh drink socially or whatever and then find myself in a very vulnerable situation. in a very vulnerable yeah. place um and i'm not saying that you know people outside of recovery aren't you know i'll get there you know this is my nine months um i, I allow myself like you said one day at a time to allow it to just be what it is um but being able to connect with those people in that community has been really cool um because i feel like i can be open with them that i'm in recovery but that's not why I'm there. I'm there with them to worship and have fellowship. So mm-hmm. I want to say that. I, let's see here. How can we put this <laughs> eloquently? Um, that's unfortunate that you had some experiences, obviously, with religion, because religion is something that's man-made. Um, I know for me that. You know, my, my higher power is obviously Jesus Christ. And uh, we all know that, that, or if you know anything about um, who God is, you know, the the greatest commandment of all is to love. And so, you know, I live my life by the Word of God. Um, you know, I fall short, but I, I, I still, I still, uh, that, that holds me accountable. And that's, for me, that's the way, the truth, and the life. And so, that's that's unfortunate that so that religious spirit that tradition of man that man's made turns so many people away you know and I just wanted to share that with y'all I, I, I that's unfortunate you know what I mean that's unfortunate that happens a lot it happens a lot yeah mm-hmm. it does like you know a, that condemnation like you like just like the intervention type thing mm-hmm. nobody wants to be told what to do and so um I just wanted to share that with y'all you know I, that's unfortunate. What are some of your goals, man? What's next? Hopefully, um, 
I will be graduating from drug court in December. Yeah. And <laughs> it's a big, big achievement right big there. Big achievement yeah. with that one, yes. It's been a long time coming. No, I'm excited for that. And around the same time, I'm supposed to be picking up a week's vacation. So maybe taking a vacation. <laughs> you talked about, I heard something about the beach. That would be amazing. Yes. Yeah. I, my my amazing. higher power, like I, my sponsor recommended it for my third step. I'm. I'm now in my fourth step, but I've just, I need the, I have this craving to get in the sea and just kind of like a cleanse. I just yeah. need a mm-hmm. spiritual cleanse of sea salt and water. <laughs> um, and then hopefully once I complete that and with the board of nursing, I'd actually like to pursue my education to go yeah. get my CRNA, which is a certified nurse anesthetist <laughs> if we can say that 10 times fast so yeah that's, that's some of my future goals and um, yeah for now <laughs> right Sean oh for me um, you know just I guess the peer support that's coming up um, hopefully finding a position in the human services um, as I said I don't know if substance abuse is really where I would like to go right now of course, I've got that lived experience to be able to share mm-hmm. that. But, um, you know, my passion is in domestic violence, actually. Um, and I would love to be able to find uh, an avenue and a place to work in domestic violence. Um, I feel like more men should be involved with domestic violence. Um, you know, to have that face out there that not all men are abusers. Excuse me. And that, you know, there are even men who experience domestic violence. Um, in and out of, you know, gay, straight, or otherwise. Um, you know, that's just where my heart really lies is in domestic violence. So, but, you know, I guess just being positive and optimistic for the future and keeping it trucking, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Back to that day at a time. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys coming on and Absolutely. sharing your story. You ready Thank to, you for having us. You ready to wrap it up <laughs> with some fun? Sure. You ready for me to put you on the spot? I think he's excited. You got to anything else for him? Yeah. You got something for him? Uh, Corey, you're first, man. No. Uh-uh. I'm first. You're oh. first. We'll bounce, we'll bounce back okay. and forth. So. Okay. I'm going to show you a picture that, right. I, that I creeped off your Instagram. Uh-oh. And I would Stalker. like for I would no. like for you to that's, that was my name from the first episode. episode one. Oh yeah, yeah. He's always up to something. Yeah. No. Nah. episode one. Um, so I'm gonna show you a picture from your Instagram, and what I want you to do is to describe to the audience, the listeners, you know, what is mm-hmm. taking what is taking place in this picture, and then tell us a little bit about the story behind the picture, like my. What happened? How did you get to that point? What's going on? Oh, wow. It's dated uh, February 16th. February the 16th. Hashtag we do recover. Hashtag nine months clean. The gifts of recovery are amazing. It works if you work it. That's right. <laughs> That's the caption on the Instagram so post. I was actually outside on a break at work. Uh-huh. Um, for that, yeah, I was outside on a break uh-huh. and um, just getting nine months clean. I had recently come off of the ankle bracelet as well with that picture. And big thing, smile, huge smile on your face. Things were, thing, <laughs> that's those <laughs> eyes, too. <laughs> There's a story behind the eyes, but that's, that's not appropriate. Um, but, <laughs> but no, um, 
Yeah, I, I was just enjoying the day. I had I had a really good day at work that day. Um, and I think we were just talking about future goals together in our relationship because that's usually who gets all those pictures is, is Sean. <laughs> but, but that day uh, you decided to share them with all of Instagram. Yeah, I just I felt really good that day. Like I had uh, like I had I had achieved something. Yeah, heck yeah, you did. I, I mean, yeah, I did, I did, but I, it just felt I felt like I needed to share it with people that, you know, we do we do recover. It's not always doom and gloom, and recovery is possible if you work it. Mm-hmm. But that has to be the ultimate, the priority is recovery. Like like I said before, recovery has to be first in my life. Because if it weren't for it, I wouldn't have the things that I have now. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Including me. Including me. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. might be a good or bad. No, I'm just playing. Hi, Sean. You're up, man. Cool. Ready? <laughs> Dated December 16th, 2017. Okay. The, the comment the uh, says finally. Oh. oh. <laughs> yeah. So this is a picture of uh, me at my graduation. Uh, I had to think December sixteenth. There you go. Uh-huh. Thank you. Yeah. Um. That was me graduating. Um. My mom and grandmother were able to come with me. Mm-hmm. Um. I was really happy and excited about that. They marched us into the Imperial March in Star Wars. That was, like, really cool. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I don't know why that just hit me, but it did. Um, You know, that was um, a really cool day. Um, Yeah. A lot of hard work, and it was a long road to get there. Very much so. Uh, And, you know, when I was leaving the stage or whatever, I saw some of the teachers that, you know, I had told about my substance abuse problems and they were so happy for me. Um, you know, cause I mean, in the human services, that's an aspect of it, you know, um, substance abuse, substance use disorders, that's a complete, um, that's a, that's one of the things that we study. And so for them, they were just as proud for me, um, because of the last two semesters of school, I had to finish here in North Carolina online. Um, and even complete an internship here. Um, That's pretty amazing. They're like flexible to be able to work with they were. to well, get that done. They've been trying to get ETSU has gotten the human services program almost 100% online, uh, and they've even just recently gotten a um, master's program in human services that's mostly online too. Um, and you know, I was just grateful to be able to f- you know finish that. I think I finished in three semesters. Um, a summer and fall and a spring. Um, yeah. But, I mean, that that was like, so December, I entered recovery in April. So, yeah, that is surprising. I'm, the, I'm proud of myself, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's surprising to enter you know, recovery in April and finish out in December. Yeah. With your bachelor's degree. Yeah, now cool. talking about master's school. I know, right? Weighing <laughs> your options. Yeah, Beautiful, dude. Absolutely. Corey, <clears throat> just because yeah. you, you were in drug court and had a little ankle monitor on didn't mean you couldn't have fun. <laughs> oh, wow. That was actually here recent. <laughs> yeah. It says Blue Ridge Parkway, June 10th. That was just yes. like a month ago. That was a month ago. It was a gorgeous day. That was on a Sunday. Uh-huh. After, um, Let me see. that was the first... Day we went, I went to uh, the UU. Yeah, it was. Okay, my first experience at the Universalist Unitarian Church 
we went to the parkway afterwards. Um, it was a gorgeous day, and I was craving water. Like, just <laughs> I wanted to be in the water. So we went up to uh, Skinny Dip Falls and just got in touch with nature and just kind of spent the day together. It was freezing. Oh, it, it was cold. <laughs> it was super cold, water, but I mean, it was... <laughs> it was an experience I needed, and it was very cleansing. It was a good day. Yeah, it was a good day. Awesome. Last one, Sean. Okay. Ready? Sure. We t- you talked about this today. Yeah. That's uh, just from... Went away, but yeah, so... Um, that was me... Three that, days ago. Three days ago. That was the day before we uh, started packing to move. <laughs> um yeah, like I said, you know, just seeing, you know, a key tag in that color, I was like, wow, this is mine, you know, because I had looked so forward to the six-month key tag that um, I really just stopped thinking about it at that point. But then whenever I was able to to get that, um, I was very grateful. And the two keys that are on there, actually, um, are both home groups for both fellowships. Wow. So uh, a, a friend of mine had commented, and he was like, oh, you even got keys to put on that key ring. And I was like, well, the cool thing is <laughs> one's my home group for one fellowship and one is the other. That's um, awesome. Because, uh, you know, they asked me to open. So <laughs> um, like Corey said, we do recover. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what I did say under there. It, was, it just feels weird. A lot of what you said earlier, yeah. it feels weird to finally hold one of these and it be mine. Yeah. Look forward. Yeah. I looked forward to the blue six-month key tag that I really wasn't looking towards the others. Yeah. A lot of what you said earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So well, Congratulations, guys. Thanks, it's, uh, thanks it's guys. It's been an honor honor to sit here and, and talk with y'all I've and hear your it. stories. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm, I know for a fact that you, you've, you uh, y'all have helped somebody for, you know, the stuff that y'all shared, so. You know, no, no doubt about stuff. it. It's our yeah. Mm-hmm. Any parting words before we wrap it up, man? Anything? Anything? One person who's watching has to have a shout out. Uh, Brandy, (laughs) Bailey, we love (laughs) you. And Allie, if you got there yet. But uh, the cool thing about the person we're giving the shout out to so when I lived in Hendersonville, I I worked as a nursing assistant with this person. And she later happened to go to nursing school with Corey. Okay. And so. (laughs) So we. Huh. We had a mutual friend together before. Without even knowing. Without even knowing. Without even it. knowing yeah. each other. Yeah. <laughs> it was so weird. Right. But, um, yeah. So, um, <laughs> well, the one that popped in my head was, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love anybody else? Can I get an amen? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> love it. No. Thank you guys again. Thanks. Y'all are awesome. I really enjoyed uh, getting to know you, and I look yeah. forward to continuing this relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, thanks guys. for having us, guys. Can Caitlin say anything? Yeah, say what she got to say? You got to say something? <laughs> you want to say something? About the show? Well, you got to come over here so people can hear you. Well, stay over there. I'll say anything. <laughs> All right, so we're going to close the show out with a, so- with a song from our man, Logan Bruce. Okay. From out of Amherst, Ohio. It's a track titled Hate This Town. Oh. Uh, it's something that he wrote after a very close friend, a friend of his overdosed oh. a while back. So we're going to close the show out with that. We would love to play music from anybody in our local community, whether you're in recovery or just making music that shares a positive message. Send it our way. We'll, we'd love to play it on our show. 
with that being said uh thank you guys for listening to nc raw you're amazing the nc raw team would like to thank today's musical contributors rival whose work can be found on youtube facebook and soundcloud by searching rival 727 and logan bruce who is on facebook and soundcloud by searching logan bruce music all of our nc raw content is available by visiting our website at www.ncraw.life while you're there be sure to subscribe to our website by dropping your email in the little subscription box that way we can notify you with exclusive content every time we release a new episode it'll be emailed directly to your inbox and while you're at it go ahead and like our facebook twitter and instagram pages at wnc raw thanks for listening have an awesome night nobody told me your drugs were controlling and that you needed help Nobody called me to tell me you're falling I know that pain too well If I had one day, just one more chance to pray Before he fades away, I'd say It's not growing you, growing you It's slowing you slowing you it's slowing you down and it's going to going to keep sowing you sowing you your funeral gown i hate this town You're hiding, the needle is sliding deep into your veins. You pray for a way out, the poison won't stay out, it's numbing out your pain. If I had one day, just one more chance to pray before he Slowing you, slowing you, it's slowing you down. And it's going to, going to, keep sowing you, sowing you. with the truth That's one thing you gave me A message to save these Smiles on our youth If I had one day Just one more chance to pray Before he fades away
It's not growing you, growing you. It's slowing you, slowing you. It's slowing you down. And it's going to, going to keep sowing you, sowing you.